Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to In For Life, the podcast. This is episode 142 called Jacqueline. Today's episode is brought to you by Belly, prenatal vitamins that help get your body the healthiest it can be to welcome a new little life. Belly's vitamins are formulated to optimize fertility and prenatal health for men and women through all stages of pregnancy, from conception through to post-pregnancy. Belly's revolutionary science-based formulation fuels your fertility to help support egg quality, promote hormonal balance, and increase your overall fertility health. Belly for men prenatals are specially formulated with clinically proven nutrients optimized to help increase sperm count, help improve sperm morphology and motility, and boost overall fertility. To get started with Belly, go to bellybaby.com and use code ALLY15 for 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, it's bellybaby, B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com and use code ALLY15, A-L-I-15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. All right, guys. So I'm so excited to bring this story to you today because Jacqueline and I have a very good mutual friend, Amanda. Hi, Mandy. You are wicked smart. And she brought us together because Jacqueline told Amanda a couple of years ago after my podcast had first launched that she had a goal of telling her story on a fertility podcast. So here she is today, finally telling her story, and it is a good one. She's going to tell us today all about what happened when her husband battled kidney cancer and the very interesting, very lucky way that his cancer was discovered. She's also going to talk about the male factor infertility that they encountered after his cancer treatment. She's going to talk about going through IVF, the extreme anxiety of pregnancy after IVF, which I know so many of you can relate to. And then after having two babies, the moral dilemma of having more embryos on ice. So Jacqueline, I'm so glad you're finally getting to do this. Amanda, thank you for connecting us. Without further ado, this is Jacqueline's infertility story. Jacqueline, it's so good to talk to you. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me today. I've yes. just been a goal of mine to be on a fertility podcast for a long time, and I can't believe it's actually happening. I love this. So we have to tell a little bit of our backstory because we have a mutual friend, the amazing Amanda Kasgar, who's a longtime friend of mine that you used to work with. And tell me, you told her that you wanted to be on a podcast before the end of 2021. Is that right? Yeah. And I told her like a few years ago, I think your podcast was just sort of getting started. And she's like, I have a friend, you have to listen to her podcast. It's amazing. I'm going to connect you. She started tagging you in my Instagram posts, I think. Um, And I started following you and listening and she was, she's a connector. I mean, anyways, but she definitely connected us together. I love it. Well, thanks, Amanda. So tell me about you. Okay. Tell me where did this all begin? Did you always want to have kids? I always wanted to have kids and I honestly, I always thought it was going to be hard. And it's interesting. My grandmother, I mean, she didn't have kids till, you know, her late thirties, which back then was a big deal because of the war and everything. And it took her a long time to get pregnant and they were almost going to adopt. 
And so, and then my mom, like it took my mom about two years between each me and my brother. And she was a bit older. And I don't know, just kind of in my mind was like, oh, it's going to take me a while. Like, it's not easy. I'm not going to be the person that like gets drunk and gets pregnant overnight. Right. Um, But so I kind of had that like in the back of my mind from the very beginning, actually. Okay. If only that were, it were that easy, right? Just like have a few drinks, you'll get pregnant. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So fast forwarding to what happened with your story. Tell me about when did you meet your husband and what, you know, did you guys talk about having a family right away or what happened? My husband and I met online. We actually met on J-Date and we met when I was living in Vancouver and he lived in Hamilton at the time near Toronto. And I ended up connecting. I ended up moving to Toronto, like six weeks after we started talking because the world just happened that way. You know, I had a work opportunity and we met and it was great. And yeah, I mean, we were together for a few years Then we got married and then we started to try and have kids probably a year after we got married. Uh-huh. And did you have any issues or what, what was happening when you, once you started to try? Well, it's interesting. Like it was in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay. You know? And so we tried for like six months and I was the person that's a bit more type a, so I went to my doctor, I said, okay, I want to start doing fertility testing. And she's like, well, it's been six months. Like I think at the time I was 31 and she's like, no, you don't need to go there yet, but I'll put you on a wait list because it often takes like six to 12 months to get into a fertility doctor. So let's put you on now, you know, hopefully by then you'll get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And actually we got a spot, like probably like within the next three months. So way faster than I thought. And like dragging my husband to the fertility clinic, you know, mm-hmm. doing all the tests. He's like, whoa, whoa. Like it kind of went from like, we're just trying casually to like, this is, you know, you know what it's like when you're in the fertility yeah. Like zero to 60. You're like, wait, yeah. how did we even end up in this world? What's what? you're in like a little room with the doctor. They're like going through all the things and, you know, we, everything looked good on paper. So, you know, they came back, they said it was actually one of those annoying things, but it was going to be the holidays. So they were closing. So we couldn't do cycle monitoring over the holidays. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, go away, enjoy the holidays, like have a drink, like that awful advice. But actually it did happen like over, we actually got pregnant on New Year's Eve. I'm pretty sure that was the date and we got pregnant naturally and we had our son Moses. Oh, wow. So what year was this? This was, he was born in 2015. Okay. New Year's Eve, 2014 to 2015, I guess was the date. Um, and I remember son- I like he went yeah. out and we had, you know, drinks and we had a nice time. And I'm not saying that that is advice I would give anyone, um, but we actually, at that point, I think had just like probably been, you know, it'd probably been about a year of trying and things just worked. Right. So we have sons about the same age. My son was born in December, 2015. And I'm guessing yours was what? September, October. Yeah. End of September. Okay. Yeah. I did. I did some fast math there, Jack. That was very good math. Actually. That was like, that was <laughs> okay. So you had Moses love that name, by the way. And then did you, think, okay, for till, you know, I don't have issues. Like this is going to be a, a piece of cake. And did you talk about wanting another kid? And we wanted another kid. And it was interesting. I, I met this amazing group of women. I started this group when I was on that leave and I called it hashtag, this is Matt leave. And I created this Facebook group and I would just say like, Hey, anyone want to meet up at the park? Anyone want to go to this workout class together as a way to make Matt leave really fun and special. And so I met all these like really lovely women. We all had kids like within, you know, six weeks of each other. We would go to the park and have beers in the afternoon. And we would go to a spin class together. I don't know, my first mat leave, just so beautiful. 
And they all started being like, I want to have two kids under two. And they all started trying. And I was, you know, in my mind, my brother and I, like I told you, my mom had some challenges. My brother and I are over, you know, four years apart. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, two, two, that feels like a lot. Am I ready for this? But it felt very normal. All of my friends, I think there's a group of us, they all got pregnant, like at that, like kind of like one year mark. Wow. Um, so oh, it did feel like, okay, this is the normal thing to do. You know, maybe, yeah, let's just go for it and get it, you know, do it. But meanwhile, around my son was about, I want to say nine or 10 months old. And my husband, he pulled his groin, he thought in spin class actually. And he'd gone and he'd said, you know, my friend kept kind of telling him she was an OT. She's like, you know, you should really go get it checked out. Like his groin kept hurting. She's like, maybe you have a hernia, you know, go get it checked out. So he finally went to the doctor and he had an ultrasound. And the um, doctor actually put down to have like a pelvic ultrasound instead of like a groin ultrasound. I don't know if that makes sense. Okay. Um, and so the doctor actually wrote down the wrong thing on the paper. So he went in for this ultrasound that, you know, the technician is like doing his stomach. And he's like, no, no, the pain is like down here. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like your doctor said, you know, abdominal ultrasound. So we can't, you know, you're going to have to go back and get another requisition. I'm not allowed to do that area of your body unless the doctor tells me to. So he's like very frustrated about the whole process. He's like, I just have pulled groin, like kind of like leave me alone. Meanwhile, like a few days later, we get a call from his doctor who says, I see spots on your kidney. Probably like not a big deal, probably a cyst, but like, let's do, you know, a cath scan. So we start like down this path of like, okay, probably not a big deal. Turns out like fast forward a very aggressive few months um, of testing and biopsies and meetings and everything that he has kidney cancer. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's like my heart is racing now talking about it because it just felt like in the moment you're like, okay just like get through this. <laughs> yeah, I can hear um, that. I can hear it in your voice. And I like recalling this really tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I had our, our son was like, at this point, like I said, he was like nine months old. We had just started like kind of talking about our family again. And all of a sudden we're hit with like, he has kidney cancer. We don't know what to do about it. And all, and he, we decide that he, he has like, anyways, this beautiful conversation with his oncologist who says, Hey, like, just leave it in. We'll monitor it, you know? And he's like, Hey man, like I have a young son. I want to have more kids. Like, what would you do? He's like, Oh, I've cut that out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my husband fast forward, I'm just returning to work. You know, we're in Toronto. I'm kind of alone there a bit. Like my family lives in Vancouver and uh, my husband has a partial nephrectomy where they take out um, about half of his kidney and remove the cancer. So mm-hmm. it's like a blessing. He's actually fine. He'll be now monitored for life. We are so lucky that this bad ultrasound or poor, you know, wrong ultrasound actually uh, found it because right. kidney cancer you really fine in stage four when you start peeing blood. Um, yeah. He probably would have found it when he was sixty. Oh my god! And he had no idea that that was there, um, and it could have been. I mean, it was a game changer. Like someone was looking out for us because not what we were expecting. Oh my gosh. Thank God. Because like, yeah, I mean, we had no idea and like he had no symptoms in the end. He did not have a hernia. He did have a pulled groin. And if we hadn't gone and done that testing, I mean, we would have never known. And I mean, yeah, it was this really scary time. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know how much of his kidney they were going to take out. I mean, kidney surgery is very aggressive. 
mm-hmm. just like in terms of recovery. Um, and it was just like a really dark time in our lives, you know, going through all that. Right. So tell me, how did that affect your, you know, something like that where not like it's a brush with death, but you know, it makes you kind of reconsider your family and your life. How did that affect you guys like emotionally? You know, it really did bring us closer. There was a lot of things we had to actually talk through. We had some like pretty serious things that we had to talk through and work through together. It also, um, we actually decided after that to move to Vancouver. Um, So that was also a big change in our lifestyle. His work completely changed because he took short-term disability and then his job shifted. And I was commuting to Vancouver for work, like one week a quarter, one week a month, sorry. And it was just really tiring with the time change and travel. And so we actually just decided, Hey, this is a chance for us to try something new, Um, go somewhere else, start a bit from scratch and um, start this new kind of journey together. So it definitely shifted things in our lives, shifted our lifestyle. I mean, my husband started juicing and he started working out more and he really changed his diet and just, I don't know, yeah, I'm sure you can imagine just even like conversations we were having and really realizing like what was important to us. Right. Absolutely. So I'm sure his recovery took a while. And then when did you get back on the trying to make a baby train? Well, and the thing is like, I remember, so he was diagnosed in July and his surgery was in December. And like, even though it's so crazy, like emotionally what's going on, we were trying in that time because part of us was like, we're not sure what's going to happen after a surgery. Like, will this affect his fertility? And so we are still trying like, which of course we were never going to get pregnant. <laughs> like it was so stressful. We're trying to do it, but you know, your head is like in a wrong, you know, wrong mental space. And it was such a stressful time. So he has a surgery, you know, it takes a few months for his recovery. And then we start trying again. Um, and we're trying for months and months and months and nothing's happening. And I had a colleague of mine who I was, I distinctly remember meeting with her in a boardroom in the office. And she said, you know, that's not like your personality. Like, what are you doing about it? She's like, do you want to have more kids? I was like, yeah, no, we definitely want to have more kids. She's like, go book a fertility doctor, like do something about it. Like, don't just sit back. Cause at that point I thought, okay, look, the first time I was all stressed about it and it just happened this time. I'm just gonna, you know, acknowledge what's gone on and just relax. And she's like, no, no book an appointment. You need to figure this out. Like you, if this is what you want in life and you have a goal to create your family, go and do it. And I was like, okay. And then that day I felt that like a requisition to get um, a referral to a fertility clinic. Okay. So then when did you go and what, what did they say when you finally went to the clinic? So fast forward, what is actually great is because we had gone to the fertility clinic with my son, we had known all of his level and we know in his sperm count and we'd known that everything was okay then. So we go, um, we, you know, this is now we're back in Vancouver. We go to a new fertility clinic. We do all the testing and, you know, everything comes back. And so we meet with our doctor who is a, like a lovely man who is, you know, one of the founding fertility doctors in Canada and one of the best, in, you know, the country. And we sit down with him and he's like, okay, I have some news to tell you. Um, it's going to be a lot more challenging to have a baby. Your sperm count is 22 million. For people to listen to your podcast, you want to be, you know, the hundreds to two hundreds, right. um, not 22. And so, right. you know, telling us this and then we go, he goes, okay, well, we'll consider IUI. Like here, you know, you don't want to do IVF. IVF is so hard. He kind of like talked about how hard IVF was. 
and said, look, you want to do IUI? Here's the drugs. You start next month. Like we'll figure this out. 22 million is the perfect amount for IUI. As long as you have over 20 million, we can do IUI. It's not a great, you know, it's not as aggressive and challenging as IVF. So here you go. Here's your prescription and go start your like treatment next month. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, great. We come home. You know, my parents are here telling them like they knew everything that was going on. We're like, look, it's, you know, we get to do IUI. At this point, I don't really know anything about IVF or IUI. Never heard of IUI before. I just know that IVF is like the, I don't know, the the thing you go to is like the last resort. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, we get to do IUI. I'm telling my parents, we're like, oh, this is a celebration. You know, it's actually not that bad. And sorry, back up. We had no one, once his sperm count was that low, my husband did decide I'm going to try acupuncture. I'm going to do no coffee. I'm going to change my boxer short. Right. Eat differently. I'm going to take all the vitamins in the world. And we waited three months to be like, okay, we can do all this stuff. And his, it still was, you know, the same number. So that's um, so frustrating. (laughs) We're doing all this stuff. I'm like, you cannot wear tight boxes anymore. Exactly. (laughs) You're like, don't even put that laptop on your lap. (laughs) (laughs) All all the things. No hot tubs. And then we get home and like an hour later, the, the doctor calls. He's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I read your results wrong. Um, it's actually 2.2 million, not 22 million. Oh my God. <laughs> so you come back because you cannot do IUI. That's not even a possibility for you. And you just start talking about IVF. Wait, that's a big fuck up though. It's <laughs> a decimal point and that like changes everything. I know my husband, he's in sales and he's like, look, if I mess up someone's bill, like by a decimal point, like let's just talk about it. We can fix it. Like the emotional, again, the emotional roller coaster that we'd been on and we finally got to this point and we finally had a plan. And then for him to say, sorry, like it's not even a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, he, he was lovely about it, but yeah, I would think there was definitely some like rage and anger on our part at that moment, especially since we'd had like this whole conversation and we'd spent hours in his office and then to be called an hour later and say, come back. I made a mistake completely. Yeah. So then we were like, okay, we're going to do IVF. (laughs) And like you said, there's probably like a 0.01% chance you'll ever get pregnant on your own with this sperm count. No one could explain. I mean, it's so easy to say he had kidney cancer, right? His sperm was in the normal 150 range prior. So we did know that, which is actually great that we did the fertility testing and but there's very, very few people his age that have uh, kidney cancer. It, like I said, it usually hits like in your sixties. So there's no studies on it. They had no idea why his sperm count had dropped so much in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Eastern medicine said, of course, like you pulled out an organ and you cut it and you know, all of that chi and energy, like, of course, and Western medicine just said, like, we have no idea, but his sperm count is so low. You'll never get pregnant on your own. So how did he, how did he handle that news? It was really hard. I mean, it was hard for like a multitude of reasons. It was hard because, you know, he thought I'm going to do all these, like, he felt like he had control. Like I'm going to do for three months, like, you know, no coffee, all this stuff. And he felt like, okay, I'll be able to have control of something. Um, and for him to lose like all control was really challenging. And I think he felt, I mean, he felt badly because, IVF is so much harder on the female, right? And so he'd known this was going to be on me. And 
I think he was just, yeah, like it's not something men talk about. They don't talk about low sperm count. They don't talk about like, you know, automatically, I think the perception is that more of the fertility issues are because of the female. And it was just like, it was just more shocking. Cause I don't think that, you know, when we had gone through the cancer treatment, we'd said, do should we save sperm? Should we do anything? And they said, no, like, unless you do chemotherapy, like everything will be fine. So it was just a combination of like, just going through the cancer, all the emotions attached to that. And then of course, finding out that quote unquote, like the fertility issues were his fault. Right. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. So what happened next? Then we go through IVF. Um, we did the whole thing. I'm sure, you know, you've talked about IVF so many times on your podcast. It's hard. Like, you know, I, I think what I felt at that moment was really lost. I really searched for like celebrity stories, like who through IVF, you know, Chrissy Teigen, uh, Man Repeller. I'm like, okay, how did it work for them? And even though you can read stories about people doing IVF, there's no details. No one tells you like what it's like. And I, I had a really hard time. Like nobody I knew at that point that I knew <laughs> I'm, I'm, people had, but no one had shared their story. No one was talking about it. Right. Um, and I felt really like I was kind of going through this on my own and doing, you know, the whole process. So I, it was just like a kind of like a dark time. Like I was excited about it, but I was nervous I, and there was just no one. I didn't feel like a sense of community at that point. Yeah. And that's really what changed for me was like, I want to be able to share my story so that people don't ever feel alone. So someone has someone they can call. So someone has someone they can answer questions about just things like doing manipur, um, that shot and it stung so oh bad. God. The burning manipur. Oh, burn, right? <laughs> you know, we, yeah, I fully agree with you. And, you know, I've said this before too, but I, I felt the same way. I felt so alone had lots of friends, but nobody who was going through it or had been through it or had talked about it. And I, that's why, you know, we started fertility rally and this podcast is just, mm-hmm. you need that sisterhood, that sense of community, you know, for people to get it. And so, yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And just to feel it's normal or to ask someone like, why is this burning? Or, Are I doing the shots right? Or, you know, the emotional roller coaster of the extraction and the waiting and the days and how many eggs and embryos and all of that stuff. Um, so it was like, it felt really lonely. I, I really did. I tried to document it like for myself. I wanted to start sharing my story, but I also felt a bit lost at that moment. So I, I kept a lot of it private and we did it. I had, I mean, overall, like I would say that I had a very successful round. I had hyperstimulation after where mm-hmm. I had over estrogen. So I looked like I was six months pregnant for like 10 days. Couldn't get out of bed because I was in so much pain, mm-hmm. um, but then like all parts of the fertility journey. And then eventually we um, were lucky and had our successful second child whose name is Florence, who came in 2019. Wow. So you had Florence. Tell me a little bit about, cause I love to talk about this you know, pregnancy after infertility or pregnant, you know, when you're, Uh when you've gone through IVF or you've gone through some sort of ART treatment, you know, what's, um, how did you feel during that pregnancy? How, how was it different from when you were pregnant with Moses? Well, it's so interesting with Moses. I was so carefree. Like at 12 weeks, we went to Costa Rica to a yoga retreat, like no Nicaragua, sorry, to a yoga retreat in the middle of nowhere. Like if something had happened, I don't know how we would have ever gotten out of there. Like right. it was insane. 
And I was doing yoga and headstands and like, you know, surfing in the water. And it was super carefree. Like that whole pregnancy, I I didn't really think about it. It was just like, oh, I'm pregnant. Okay. I'm going to continue like my life. And I had beautiful midwives and, you know, um, the midwife practice is different, right? You don't get a lot of, you have one ultrasound. You don't have a lot of like checkups the same way. It's not very medical. It's like all, okay, a bit more hands off. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love you know, I went for my appointments every now and then, you know, I lied on a couch and they measured me and they, they heard the baby. And that was it. Like it was pretty, um, relaxed the whole time. I felt, I actually felt really well with him. I was never sick. So that obviously was changed as well. And then, you know, Florence comes along. I found those hormones so hard on my body. I was just nauseous and headache and tired and completely opposite. Like there was no way I was going to do yoga, like let alone in my living room, let alone in Nicaragua. So that part was different, obviously just a different pregnancy. And I think, like I said, the hormones had a um, really profound effect on my body. That's why I think I had the hyperstimulation. That's why I had a hard time like during um, when I was doing it, just because my body like kind of went into overdrive. But then I was like, okay, I'm going to get my midwife again. I mean, different midwives because I moved to Vancouver, but I'm going to do the you know natural approach. And, and I couldn't, I went to a midwife, I met them. And after being in fertility treatment, where you are, you know, in that clinic every two days, getting blood work, getting ultrasounds, getting medication, getting a doctor checking you um, to go from that to seeing a midwife who said like, I'll see you in six weeks and, you know, good luck. I couldn't do it. I uh, freaked out. I was like, I need someone to be checking me more frequently. Um, I want a, a doctor. I want like an OB. I want someone who's has an ultrasound machine in the office. So they're constantly looking at my baby. Um, and so it's a very different pregnancy in that sense where I was much more nervous and on edge um, and really into more of the medical field, medical approach versus my first time. Hundred percent. It's I have so many parallels with you because you know first child born with without mm-hmm. issues naturally and great pregnancy, carefree pregnancy too. Like it was like yeah, nothing's gonna go wrong. Like we got this. And then the second one was just like, oh my god. But I remember when I I after I went through IVF and they called me and were like, you're pregnant. Call us when you deliver. I was like, wait, what? You're just like releasing me into the wild. Like I know. How can this be? I need like constant monitoring. You know, there's so many people in our group now who have get the Doppler and, you know, do their own at home monitoring. Mm-hmm. I get it. I didn't have oh, that. Totally. But I, God, if I was going through it now, hell yeah. Yeah. No, I was the same. I remember my doctor came in and gave me a hug. He's like, okay, you've graduated. I'm like, Grad- no, I don't want to graduate. I want to stay. I know. It's totally, totally. <laughs> wow. Okay. So th- how far apart are Florence and uh, Moses? They're about four years apart. Okay. So you were going through it for a couple of years and then, okay. So what happened after that? So after that, I I really wanted to be open about my story. And so I started sharing, like I started sharing pictures of, you know, what it was like to go through fertility treatment. I started talking about it. I would be really honest, like, oh yeah, I had like people say, oh, you know, ask me a question about flow and, you know, oh, was it easy to get pregnant? I'm like, no, it wasn't. I had to go through IVF. This is what it was like. And I started just making sure that anyone who knew they wanted to talk about it, that I had an open door to, to just my story and what I'd gone through and male infertility. Like, again, my husband, he was actually really great too. Like he'll tell people like very openly, oh yeah, I had low sperm count. 
you know, we didn't hide that from the story. We're like, okay, let's just tell people because there's other people going through this that don't know how to share. Yeah. And so all the like fertility days of the year, I would share a post or I would show pictures of Moses, like actually, you know, holding my shots and um, talk about him helping me or, or, you know, when Flo came, I would share like, oh, you know, what a miracle she was and what we had to go through and how much money we had to spend and how many drugs and shots and pills and tests we had to do. Because I don't want to make light. Like, you know, I know I just sort of brushed over, like I did IVF and IVF is such a journey. And then when you're in it, it's like all you're doing and all you can think about. Yeah. Um, and sometimes when you're out, it's easy to like say, okay, yeah, I did IVF. But to actually be able to tell someone like, I know what that's like. I know the challenges along the way. Um, and I'm here. If you want to talk, I'm here. If you want to connect. And I realized like people started reaching out. Like I would be getting, you know, you know a few DMs a week from people. I had no idea they were going through this or people had already done IVF. And they said, I just want to tell you, I actually did it. And my family doesn't know. Um, my sister, who's your friend doesn't know. And thank you for sharing. Cause I wish I could have shared with you. Yeah. So I just realized like how much power there was in creating a community, like all the things you've done, which is so beautiful because honestly at the time, and I know 20, you know, 2015, 2016 wasn't that long ago, but it does feel like things have really shifted where you couldn't find out information. Like it was hard to find people that had done it and it was hard for to find people that would share. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Just even going into the the bookstore, looking on, you know, looking for books about miscarriage and Instagram wasn't really a thing. It's come a long, long way, even in the two plus years since I've started this podcast. And thank God, like, you know, people like you that are willing to share their stories and, you know, it's, it's, it's just normalizing this conversation. You know, hopefully people listening right now didn't have to go through what you and I went through where there was no community and there was no resources or very little, I should say, not none, but very yeah. little. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that, you know, when you're going through that, you already feel alone. Um, you also have your hormones raging through your body. Right. Um, you know, there's already enough challenges you have going on emotionally. And then to have some, to know that A, what is, it's normal. And B, there's other people that I can connect with and share my story or talk to or get advice from. Like I said, honestly, I was on my like last, second to last day of Menuprure. And I finally found out that like, if you mix it ahead of time and you leave it for 10 to 15 minutes, the burn does not come. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did no one tell me this? Like, why was there no like place to share? And then when I had all that hyperstimulation, you know, afterwards I found out that, you know, drinking electrolytes through that time can really help flush your system. Mm. Um, And here I was like, couldn't get out of bed for 10 days. And I remember like Amy Schumer, actually, she was going through, going to start IVF. And she said, like, send me your tips. And I was like, oh, am I really going to send Amy Schumer my tips? This is so crazy. She's like, here's my phone number. You know, had, like her. Tips I know. I texted her too. I remember that. I was like, I was like, call me. <laughs> well, who am I? This is so crazy. But I was like, no, that was the point. I said I was going to tell people. And I'm like, hey, these are my like top five fertility tips. And these are the things you should know that no one will tell you. And I'm sure I got the generic like text message, like, thanks so much. But I like to think that maybe she read it or she shared it or something because, um, and again, I appreciate her vulnerability to say, what do I need to know? Like I'm going through this. And she was probably, again, one of the first people I'd really seen 
be so open about it on the platform. Hundred percent, I agree. And you know, I've tried to get her on this podcast many times. No avail. Well, yet, if you're but... listening, you definitely join Ali's podcast. Come on, Amy, and let's do this. Ex- Okay. So then the, the babies are, the kids are growing and, and what else, what else was happening in terms of your family? Kids are growing. Everything's going well. And like I said, I, I'm talking to people about this. I, I reached out to the fertility clinic. I was like, how can I be a coach? Like, what can I do? And they're like, well, it's hard because of confidentiality, but you know, we'll, we'll offer your, just as someone, you know, I'm in, like, I've done a lot of coaching through my work. I'm an HR professional. So I was like, look, I'm not, I'm not a trained counselor by any means, but if anyone ever wants to talk, like, please like share, you know, give them my information. The fertility clinic shared a bit about our story on their website and on their Instagram. So I had lots of people reach out through that. And since then, I've just been in like regular conversation. I'll meet people for coffee, someone who wants to freeze their eggs, um, someone whose husband is going through something similar, connect them with my husband. And just continue to be in the conversation. I'll be really honest, like in an uncomfortable work setting, someone will say something like, oh, you know, I don't know, should we support fertility benefits? I'm like, yes, you should. You know how expensive it was for me to have Florence? Like, I'm not trying to scare away from it. And I probably make people uncomfortable because people will ask me something about, oh, pregnancy. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I went through. But I think it's just so important to continue to like, be vulnerable in that story and make it normal. And the more you hide behind it, the less normal it is. So as uncomfortable as people might be that have never thought about talking about it before, um, I sort of like put it out there in their face. So they have no choice, but to like react to it and say, okay, like the more they hear it, the more normal it becomes. Right. And I'm glad that, you know, in, in terms of the workplace coverage and stuff too, you've been talking about that a lot. We try to do that too, with talking about how to navigate your insurance and how to lobby for yourself in your own workplace. And, you know, Resolve does a lot of great things with that too. They have kits that you can take to your employer. So, you know, hopefully that becomes more an anomaly to not get coverage, but still, I mean, that's still really shitty in the States. Mm-hmm. I think Canada's better, but. You know what? Canada's not great either. And BC, like where I live, isn't great. Ontario is a bit better, but it's still not, I mean, I'm grateful and it's expensive and it's not something that, they make it easy for you. So yeah. and even like in our case, like, or anyone's case, right? Like it's, you know, you, it's really clear what was wrong and, you know, they cover cancer treatment, right. And they would cover, you know, my husband's kidney getting removed, but you know, anything after that, even though we know there was like a direct correlation, um, there's nothing covered in this space. Yeah. So did you guys talk about possibly having any more kids? So uh, this is like also our, our weird moral dilemma is you have embryos on ice and would I ever try again, like try naturally? No, because that was an awful time and it was very stressful. And we were also going through all the other stuff as well with the cancer treatment. So, and, you know, it'd been like such a journey to get there, but we have these embryos and we kept talking about what do you do with your embryos? Do you donate them to research? Do you donate them to someone? Do you keep them? Like, do you just keep paying your, I don't know, $500 freezing fee every year and keep them? Like, yeah. I don't know. You know, and I, we've been talking about it. We ask our friends who've gone through it, like, what are you going to do? And I mean, I'm curious. I'm sure you've talked to people about this on your podcast, but I'm like, what do you actually do? So we've talked about it for a while. Um, How many did you guys have? Well, we had, we had 
five left and one was like a mosaic. Like we're not sure about it. Okay. So we have, um, we had those and you know, my husband comes from two. I come from two. We have two. Everyone says, you know, have your two. We had a boy and a girl. Um, there was just this pull, especially I would say during COVID with this sense of us being a family unit and us being at home all the time and us being, I don't know, all together, like in a totally unique way that we'd never been together before that really drove us to say, okay, I think we want to consider having a third. And there was definitely some hesitation, like for a variety of reasons, because three is a lot, but we decided, okay, let's go for it. And let's do, uh, you know, the implantation is also so weird. Like, I don't know, the first time I was so in it and I like, you know, gone through everything and I was just like in that world. And then this time I'm like, okay, well, I think we want to try and I'm like, okay, we'll come in and do one test. Make sure your uterus is okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And then here's some pills. And when you want to start, call us on the first day of your period and start taking these pills. Like this feels so strange because, you know, compared to like the trying and the in and everything, like, okay, just call us. I'm like, okay. And so really one day, um, a few months ago, I like woke up, I got my period. I said to my husband, should we try this month? And he's like, okay. <laughs> like there wasn't honestly a lot of thought and time into it. It was just like, okay, let's just try this month. Let's just see what happens. I know that it's not, you know, there's no guarantee by any means. So I called the doctor and I said, okay, we're going to start my pills. And he goes, okay, I'll see you in like 14 days. We'll start t- checking your uterus lining and we'll see what happens. And, and we went through all that. And, you know, I was, I, it was a harder pregnancy again, even this time, the third time was I was more sick than I was the second time I had like bleeding in the beginning a few times, which was very scary, but now I'm 25 weeks pregnant with our third daughter. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I mean, in Canada, you don't get to choose what you're having. They -hmm. just like sit down with you and they say, here's your embryos. Here's the quality of them. Honestly, I didn't really understand what they were talking about. Like a B, B two. I have really no idea what you're talking about. Just pick the healthiest embryo. Right. So like, oh, we think that, you know, one, two, seven, six, four, three, two is the healthiest one. I'm like, okay. And they chose the embryo and then, you know, you, you know, they put it through and they watch it go from the lab through the tube and it goes inside. And it was just, again, it felt so different because I think the first, like the first time was all about like, you know, the first and second time was all about trying and really being in it and doing everything. And then this, you know, this third time felt much more like we were in choice a bit about it. It felt very scientific, like, okay, this month and, you know, people like, okay, well, which month are you going to get pregnant? I was like, I can't go there yet. I don't know if this is going to work. Like I was not the person who said, I'm going to, you know, start in May so I can have a baby in February. I did not do anything like that. I thought I'm just going to go into it and know that it might not work. I was much more, I guess, even this time it's interesting. I was actually really more secretive until anyone I was going through this. Um, not because I wasn't, didn't want to tell. And I mean, I've now told and I've shared, you know, I, I took pictures of my kids every night. They gave us they gave me my shots. They were like a part of it. Mm. You know, I brought my friends to like my ultrasounds with me. They knew we were doing it. Like they kept my, I mean, my two-year-old has no idea really, but my six-year-old, like he kept it a secret until 10 weeks. Like he didn't tell anyone. Oh, wow. Um, what we a sweetie. Oh, it was amazing. And we really made it a family thing. Like we said, we're going to have a baby. You know, my son, a hundred percent thinks babies only come from needles, but we, um, <laughs> 
every night we would do the needles, we do the shots, we would talk about it. Um, he knew about the pills you have to put inside of you. And, you know, we went through it as like really a family unit, but didn't share it externally until um, really we started actually confirming, like there was a heartbeat, mm-hmm. you know, we saw the baby we went through the, the ultrasounds and then around that 10 to 12 week mark, we started telling people and they were actually shocked, like had no idea we were even considering a third and for this. Wow. I think it's so cool that you're so open about it with your kids and just think about these compassionate kids that you're raising and how they're going to have such a different outlook on things. You know what I mean? Like having seen you work so hard for this and struggle through it. And I just think it's so cool to give them that experience. Well, thank you. Thank you. I didn't really think of it. Honestly, it was just like, this is our family. We're growing together. Like we're all in this together. So let's make them right. feel they're a part of it. Yeah. Um, just in terms of special, like they loved doing it. My son would practice doing shots on oranges. <laughs> you know, they would like get out the He's going to be a fertility doctor now. <laughs> <laughs> I just said the only thing is, is he has, like, that's a hundred percent how he thinks babies come, which is fine. I mean, that is how babies come for a lot of people in the world. And I want him to know and appreciate that, you know, how children come in this world can come in many different forms. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate everybody supporting this podcast and listening to it and passing it around to friends. If you have two minutes and you haven't yet, if you can go over to Apple and give it a rating and a review, that would be amazing. And also check out Fertility Rally. We are actually having a Black Friday sale right now. Our annual membership is just $129 for the entire year. That gives you so much stuff, including two support groups a week, two private Facebook groups, a whole website full of content, videos, downloadables, member discounts, all this really, really cool stuff that we've been building for the last year and a half, tons of content. And then it also gives you this community, your fellow members who are just there to support you and have your back. So everybody's become really close and I'm really proud of what we've built. And if you're feeling alone, please know you are not alone. Come check us out at fertilityrally.com. You can also go to our Instagram, which is fertilityrally. And I would love it, love it, love it if you'd also follow me on Instagram at infertileafstories because there's more pictures and more content, lots of other things there as well. So thank you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. And I will talk to you guys next time.